You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Well, I have a question before I begin. And who has never heard a message around deliverance and freedom? Just kind of give me a wave. You've never, it's not, it's been something you haven't, yes, okay, we got some hands. This is going to be a really great, powerful day. And, um... I just want to start off by letting you know that this is a topic I feel like personally I could preach about for 24 hours a day, seven days a week and never fully understand. So tonight we're just kind of scratch the surface of freedom and deliverance, but I want to resource you from out the gate, okay? So this is just an introductory introductory message to freedom and deliverance, but if, if something gets sparked on the inside of you, can I please encourage you to text I am free to 555-888 and we've put together some really beautiful, simple resources to help you on this freedom journey. Journey. I really want to equip you guys. And uh, I want to just let you know from the beginning that freedom and deliverance has been something that has changed my life completely. I am an entirely different person because of freedom and deliverance. And I would not be up here today. That's a sure thing. I would not be up here today. I potentially could not be married. And I absolutely guarantee you I would be in a loony bin. Okay. I want to reassure you tonight that I have gotten rid of most of my demons. So you're in good hands for the most part. But I want to tell you something. So I grew up in a church that didn't teach around this. I never in my whole life heard anything around freedom and deliverance. And sadly, I did not realize that I was plagued with the spirit of fear for about two decades. And it dominated everything I did. Every hour of every day was dominated by the spirit of fear. It impacted and influenced everything I did. It was destroying my relationship with my husband. And the only reason why he ended up marrying me was because I had learned over ruining relationship after relationship with being consumed with this spirit of fear that um, I needed to kind of let it, let it fly under the radar until there was a ring on it, okay? So he didn't, he didn't fully understand the, the true scope of my craziness until he said, I do. And that was a strategy I had. So I just want to let you know And thank God I've been freed from that and freed of so many other things. And it is a freedom journey. It's not like a one-stop shop. For some of you, this is gonna be the first time you have a real powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit. You get set free and God works in layers. He's so beautiful like that. And so I feel like every year there's like another layer of things he just wants to bring to the surface and deal with. And he doesn't bring things to the surface so he can embarrass you or shame you or expose you. He brings things to the surface because he wants to heal you and he wants wants to set you free. It is going to be an incredible demonstration of God's love and God's power tonight. Amen? Amen. So, have you all heard the saying, you keep going around the same mountain? Yes, we keep going around the same mountain. So I was, I'm going to kind of pick up and summarize a quick story. So we know the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and they were nearing the end of their journey, and they find themselves still in the desert, circling around the same mountain over and over and over again, moving, wearing themselves out, but making no actual progress. 
And when I think about this scripture, I think about our lives sometimes. And whether we look at our lives and we look on our past or maybe our current circumstances, and could it be that we keep year after year circling around the same issues, the same sin, the same struggle, the same ceiling, never actually making progress, but feeling worn out, still struggling with the same sin, the insecurity, the anger, you're still fearful, you're timid, you lack confidence. Maybe you, you feel like you have to control everything or you're jealous or you're anxious or you're suffering from sickness or, or tormenting nightmares. Whatever it may be, you, you, every year you, you hope this is the year you get breakthrough, but nothing ever shifts and you keep circling around that same mountain. Well, I am here to tell you tonight that enough is enough. Yeah. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. And I'm gonna tell you the same thing the Lord told the Israelites in Deuteronomy 2, two through three. He said, and the Lord spoke to me saying, you have circled this mountain long enough. You have circled this mountain, this issue, this struggle, this stronghold, this sin long enough. Now turn northward. We are gonna stop circling our mountain tonight and we are gonna turn northward in Jesus' name. Enough is enough. So tonight, I'm not gonna necessarily uh, preach. I'm gonna take off my preacher hat and I'm gonna put on my teacher hat because I really feel like this is something that we need to grow in wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Maybe not necessarily even for ourselves. Maybe you fully understand this and you're fully free, but you might be able to help somebody else that is circling their mountain year after year. So I'm gonna do some teaching tonight, if that's okay. Is that good? Good. All right. And I believe, fully, fully believe that you are gonna be awakened tonight to the spiritual reason why you haven't been able to stop circling the same issue, the same mountain. And I know so many of you have tried everything in your own strength. You've read the books, you've gone to the counselors, you've said your prayers, and nothing has seemed to work. And I wanna tell you tonight that you cannot win a spiritual battle with natural weapons. We've got to deal with the spiritual battle with spiritual weapons. Ephesians 6, 12 says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I understand that it doesn't necessarily give us like the warm and fuzzy feeling that we have a real enemy, but we do. We have a real enemy and his name is Satan and he has an army of demons and their mission is told to us in John 10, 10. He comes to steal, to kill and destroy your life. And he can steal, kill and destroy even a Christian's life if we give him permission to do so. And I believe there's a lot of sincere Christians. Sincere Christians are using a lot of energy suppressing tendencies that are due to demons that need to be cast out. We're exhausting ourselves trying to suppress things that we can't suppress without asserting our power and authority and dominion. Demons, unlike the flesh, cannot be crucified. We cannot kill demons. They must be cast out. And yet deliverance cannot be a substitute for daily decisions to deny the flesh and follow the spirit. You cannot cast out the flesh. You have to crucify the flesh. So let's look at Jesus's ministry. Jesus, when he was here on earth, he combined casting out of demons and setting people free of demonic oppression as a normal practice 
in his ministry. Did you know actually getting people delivered from a demonic oppression, oppression was actually one third of Jesus's ministry? So, so it's, it's, it's amazes me that the church has shrunk back from something Jesus spent a third of his time doing here on the earth. Jesus never sent out his ministers to preach the gospel without also telling them to heal the sick and to cast out devils and to, and to set the captives free. Mark 3, 14 through 15 says, Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal the sick and to cast out demons. Matthew 10, 1 says, And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. So I would like to say that preaching the gospel message without ministering and deliverance and freedom is an incomplete gospel. Here's the thing, you are unha- when you get saved and you come to know Jesus as your savior, absolutely you are 100% saved. You are going to have her signed, sealed, delivered. Okay, you are, you are going to heaven. But I am telling you, you've experienced a third of the fullness of the gospel message. Healing is also a, a part of the gospel message and freedom and deliverance. That is the fullness of the gospel. And God has commissioned each and every one of us to go out and be ministers of the gospel, ministers in healing and ministers in freedom and deliverance. So, we have been given authority. I want us to understand that tonight. In Luke 10, 19, it says, Behold, I have given you, believers, you and I, authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And we don't have to live in fear because of the enemy's power because 1 John 4, 4 tells us this says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you, Jesus Christ, is greater than he who is in the world, our enemy. And when we exercise our authority over the enemy, the kingdom of darkness has to flee. The light always overcomes the darkness. You think about it, you walk into a dark room, you flip on the light switch, darkness disappears. Light always overcomes the darkness. Darkness has to flee when it encounters the truth, when it encounters the light. So I wanna answer some questions that I know some of us are thinking because I get these questions a lot. Can a Christian be possessed by a demon? Possessed? I would say no, and I'll tell you why. Ephesians 1.13 says that when we become a Christian, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit and that we are God's possession. But can Christians be oppressed by the devil? I would say yes. And I understand there's still some controversy around this. A lot of Christians don't believe that we can still be oppressed by the devil. But I will tell you this, for someone who has had multiple deliverance experiences after I was born again, I was saved at the age of four and I've had multiple deliverance experiences. You're not able to tell me that that is not a real experience. Can I just get a show of hands of anyone who has experienced any freedom and deliverance after they became a born again believer? Amen. Look at all you free people, you're so free. Yay, yes, okay. So oppression, demonic oppression has nothing to do with the fact if we are a Christian or not. Oppression has to do with whether the fact we actually give the devil access to our lives. So I wanna talk about how we give the devil access to our lives. Because here's the thing, the enemy was defeated, he was not destroyed. He still roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So that 
indicates to me that there are some people he cannot devour and there are some people that he can. And the people that he can devour have given him access to their lives. So how do we give the devil permission to oppress us? Well, I just wanna reassure you tonight that demons cannot force their way into, their li- in, into people's lives or enter any time that they want. They need to be given legal permission to do so. Okay, so Ephesians 4.27 tells us this. It says, nor give place to the devil. That word place is a legal foothold, an opportunity, a legal right for the enemy to enter and occupy. So the enemy looks for access points where he's given legal permission to come in and oppress our lives. He looks for gateways, I guess you could say. So what I want to do is just quickly go through some access points that the enemy can access our lives where we give him legal ground to enter and occupy. One, so we can close those things off, and two, so we don't open ourselves up in the future and be susceptible to them. So one access point that the enemy uses is ongoing sin. So when a Christian chooses to engage in sin, they open themselves up for demonic oppression. And then when you make the conscious decision to keep sinning over and over again, you then open the door even wider and the, and the demonic oppression becomes stronger and stronger every time you choose to disobey instead of obey. And it's not like, we don't, we don't walk around and go like, oh, I am not listening to you, Jesus. I'm gonna listen to Satan. Like, no one does that because that's crazy, okay? No one actually says that out loud. Well, I hope you don't. I hope you don't say that out loud. But we do it with our actions. We do it with knowing the word of God and choosing, you basically internally go, no thank you, Jesus. I'm choosing the devil's way. That's what we do when we choose to deliberately disobey. And when we continually do that, the level of oppression gets stronger and stronger and stronger over our lives. Another access point is committing sexual sins, having fantasy life, or looking at pornography. When we do these things, we open ourselves up to spirits of perversion and lust. And every time you, again, you, you continue to engage in those sinful behaviors, you, the demonic oppression becomes stronger and stronger because you're deliberately choosing to continue to sin. So you ever wonder why it's so difficult for people to break those addictions? It's because it's fueled by demonic oppression and that demon needs to be cast out so you can actually get a hold of this issue. Um, Access points, having sex outside of marriage. When two become one, the Bible says, when, when you engage in sexual intercourse, two become one. You just became one with that person. All right, so that actually means you, you, provide an opportunity for anything that that person is carrying to enter into your life because you just joined yourself and became one. And a scripture for you to look at later is Matthew 6, 22 through 23. Um, with the sexual sins and pornography, it says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, our whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Another access point, and this, this one to me just really reveals how disgusting and destructive our enemy is with sexual abuse and molestation. When those things happen, those, those uh, abuse, abusive moments, it opens the doorway for spirits of shame and self-hate. Um, what we'll find often when those um, horrible traumas are happening, a child will often wish that they are dead. 
They will, they will, in those moments, as a way of wanting to escape, they, in those moments of trauma, that they wish that they're dead and they bring on spirits of death and depression. Unresolved anger is an open doorway. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 tells us that you don't let the sun go down on your anger because you're gonna give the enemy a foothold. Unforgiveness, you can read about it in Matthew 18. When we refuse to forgive someone as God asks us to forgive, then we are subject to tormenting spirits. Have you ever met someone that is riddled with unforgiveness? They are tormented in their minds. They replay the event, what they would say, what they're gonna do if they ever get revenge and they can't sleep and it, it, it's, it's horrifying. It's tormenting spirits you've opened yourself up to. And I just wanna say this because I understand that terrible things happen to good people. And I understand that the person that hurt you and wounded you may not deserve your forgiveness, but I need to let you know that you actually deserve to live free from tormenting spirits. You deserve to be free from tormenting spirits. Making bitter judgments, judging others, you come under judgment, Hebrews 12, 5 tells us. Access points, um, divination and occult activity. Those give, us, those give the enemy direct access to us. And some things that are included in that are fortune telling, horoscopes, mediums, palm readers, witch doctors, Ouija boards, witchcraft and drug use. Now with the occult, one big one that likes to fly under the radar is when um, any occult activity opens yourself, yourself, yourself up to controlling spirits. Um, and controlling spirits could be defined simply as this, an, an attempt to control another person with any other spirit that is not the Holy Spirit. And so I wanna just share with you, I actually came under a spirit of control. So, and it wasn't because I was doing Ouija boards and went to witch doctors, this is what happened to me. I have someone in my family who I feel doesn't necessarily stand up for themselves. They uh, have a hard time making their own decisions and they kind of want everyone to kind of, you know, tell them how to, how to do things because they feel really timid. And, and I feel like this person gets walked on and, and taken advantage of. So because I'm a helpful person, I, I, I took it upon myself to let this person know that they're getting walked on and this and this. And then I, I realized they weren't making the decisions for themselves that were healthy for their life. So I started to tell them all the decisions they should be making for, for their life. And every time I had a phone conversation with this person, I would turn into a different person. I'd get really bossy, I'd get really angry, and I'd be really demanding. And when they didn't do what I wanted them to do, I'd get so angry. And I just kind of saw this pattern. And I remember talking with Mike Connell when he was here a, a few trips ago. And he said, Becky, you have come under a spirit of control because control has gotten you what you wanted. So he said, so every time you try to tell that person what they should do and how they should live, you are actually coming into agreement with the spirit of control and operating under that thing. You need to break that off. So I just renounced it and got completely set free from that. And and now what I do, this is what the, uh, he instructed me to do. So now every time I talk to that person on the phone, I refuse to tell them what to do. They kind of want me to because they're used to me telling them what to do, but I won't. I just keep pointing them back to Jesus. Well, the word of God says, the Lord would say, you know, and so I, I don't, I do not want to come under a spirit of control because that will just begin to manifest in other areas of my life. Emotional wounds are an open doorway for the enemy. You know, when people experience 
horrible things like abandonment and rejection or through a divorce, a lot of times we can see um, that spirit of rejection really rest upon kids who were even rejected in the womb. Children raised knowing that they weren't planned or they were even told they were unwanted. So that those emotional wounds, those spirits of rejection um, can really manifest in children who were raised in emotionally cold homes. And, and with that spirit of rejection, it's like wherever you go, you never feel like you belong. You walk into a room and you kind of already anticipate that you're not gonna be well-liked and received, but then you, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because you walk in already like, uh, uh, they're not gonna like me. Uh, uh, uh. And, and that actual, actually gets played out in your life. Um, access points, abortion, spirit of death, and depression and grief can rest upon you, can oppress you. Trauma, accidents, loss, and grief. Oftentimes with trauma, with accidents, it's a massive open door because we are so vulnerable when those things happen, aren't we? And a lot of times a spirit of fear can come in when we've been traumatized. And I can give you a, a, a little example of this. I have two boys and a little girl, and they're all very ad adventurous. And one day, my children were at the beach with my in-laws, and a riptide came and kind of swept all three of them out. And um, some bystanders helped my daughter and my youngest son. But my older son got taken out a little bit farther, and he had to be rescued by the lifeguards. And so we didn't recognize it right away, but from that moment on, he became a fearful and timid person. He didn't wanna go in, he, he didn't touch water for at least a year. He wouldn't even go in our pool. And it didn't just stop with water. It started manifesting in other areas. All of a sudden, he was scared of the dark. All of a sudden, he was scared to go take a shower by himself. He was so scared of everything. He became so anxious. My, the two younger siblings would be running really fast. He's like, mom, mom, they're gonna fall. You need to tell them to slow down. I mean, everything just became, he was just, he became a different child. And it wasn't until about a year came and we were just like, what? is happening. It was all consuming. And I realized when we traced it back, it started with that traumatic experience. And so we didn't get all weird and turn on loud music and chant around him and, and speak in tongues and all of these things. All we did when he went to bed that night, after we had a revelation that this might be the devil's work, he went to bed and John and I just laid hands on him and prayed. He had a little cough and uh, he woke up the next day completely set free of a spirit of fear. You just have to recognize it. You have to recognize it. The enemy likes to fly under the radar. Oh, I'm just fearful. Oh, I've always been fearful. No, God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. This is not gonna be popular, but I, I must say this out loud. Um, this is for the live streamers. This isn't for you guys. Uh, <laughs> um, so yoga, okay. It's gonna pause, let it settle. So any Eastern meditation and mysticism, so anything that encourages you to blank or alter your state of mind. And I know this is so accepted in society, but it's at its roots, it's Hinduism. And it's fully demonic and full of worship idol. Every single position was created to worship a certain idol, a certain image in Hinduism. So I'm not saying that if you do yoga, you have demons. But what I'm saying is you are toying with the demonic and you are opening yourselves up to possible oppression. I'll drink to that. 
All right. Okay, I'm gonna take some time on this one because here's the thing. Um, a lot of times, the, uh, a lot of the things that I talked about are just kind of like in your face, like the trauma, the fear, the, the abuse, like all of that. It's, it's like really easy to identify. These ones I have found in the last year, people have more issues because of inner vows than other things. And so these things fly under the radar, but they are so incredibly powerful. So I actually, I learn from examples. I learn from hearing other people's stories and then I identify, I'm like, oh my gosh, I do that too. So I am hoping that in this moment, you'll be awakened again. You'll have the revelation, the light bulb will go on so the enemy can't fly under the radar anymore. So inner vows usually happen after a wounding, a wounding that remains unhealed. And then the enemy, because he's a dirty dog, takes advantage of those moments and he comes in in the wounding. And, and inner vows are things like this. I'm never gonna trust a man. I'm never gonna be good enough. I'm never gonna be like my mother and father, only to find out you turn out just like them because you made a better judgment. So inner vows, this is what happens. You make an inner vow, you actually come into agreement with a lie. That is why it's so important to know what the word of God says because you come into agreement with a lie. And when Satan hears you say a lie out loud and he's like, oh yes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna agree with that and I'm gonna make sure that out works in your life. He's more than happy to come into an agreement, an inner vow that is against the word of God and make it manifest in our life. There's agreements like this that become self-fulfilling prophecies. Uh, no one's gonna take care of me. I'm gonna take care of myself. I don't need anybody. I'm gonna do it all on my own. That's a huge one. That's a huge one. And then these, these things, and, and those inner vows a lot of times, again, are traced back to childhood and where children, the, the parents aren't taking responsibility, so the child has to take up and pick up responsibility they weren't meant to carry, so they have to do everything on their own. And then you find later in life that they have dysfunctional relationships. They can never fully be vulnerable and trust anyone else because they're eventually gonna let you down. I'm gonna take care of myself. So inner vows. My story, I've had to break a few inner vows over the last few years. I had to break that I'll never trust a man. That's what started me on my journey towards fear. After abusive relationship, after abusive relationship, every, every male in my life had let me down. And so I said, I'm never gonna trust a man again. And then that brought on um, fear because I was worried I was gonna get hurt again, which then built walls of self-protection. And then that manifested in me having to control to make sure at least I had the illusion that I was safe. And so all of that, all of that, I had to break that vow that I would never trust a man so I can get over the control, the irrational fears and the anxiety. I also had to recently get delivered from an inner vow that I had to be responsible for everyone and everything. And, and I know that it probably seems silly, like, well, that makes, like, why would you ever think you're, you know, you're responsible for everyone and everything? Well, I'll tell you why. Because I had an older sister that was one year older than me. There was five siblings in our family. And when I was down here in Southern California, my whole family was in Oregon, I get a phone call when I was a sophomore in college. And I got a phone call that said, your older sister who was one year older has just shot herself and she committed suicide. 
My older sister was the classic older sister, like the textbook, super responsible, responsible for everything. She always made sure everyone finished their dinner, everyone wore their seatbelts, and everything was in order. And I drove her nuts because I was like always wanting to make everyone laugh and just be goofy, and I was never serious enough for her. And so it's like she was the serious, responsible one, and I was able to be the goofy one. And so when I got that phone call that my sister had died, I remember getting on that plane and it was somewhere in the sky that I've, I literally felt the weight of the responsibility that she carried now became my responsibility because now I was the oldest. And I remember going home and everyone was a complete mess, rightfully so. And I had to make sure all the funeral arrangements were in order. I talked to the hairdresser that fixed my sister's hair and, and made sure her makeup looked just how she liked it. And, and we picked the songs and I talked to the pastor and I just, I went around making sure everyone, extended family, my parent, everyone was okay. And I didn't shed a freaking tear at that funeral because I had to make sure everybody else was okay and everything was now my responsibility. I lived under the weight of that inner vow for two decades. I was set free from that inner vow two years ago when Pastor Yugenlian came to me and they said, this is not normal. I even had a journal, but journal on, on the front, it said, make it happen. I'm like, yes, Becky Heinrich is gonna make it happen because I do everything. And I was being crushed under the weight. I was saying yes to things I shouldn't have said yes to. I was, I was involved in things I shouldn't be involved in because I, for some reason, believed that everything was up to me. And when they brought it to my attention, it was traced back to that moment when I was flying back to my sister's funeral, accepting the weight of that lie, that responsibility, that inner vow, that everyone was my responsibility now. Inner vows are powerful. They can shape how you live your life every day. Inner vows, another powerful story, a beautiful young um, woman in our church, married, she uh, came to me after a Sunday message and she said, uh, Becky, can I have coffee with you? I'm really struggling with some health issues. And so we went to coffee and she began to share with me that while she was in childbearing, she, she was a childbearing um, years and of age, she was, her body had gone into premenopause. And the doctor said that she would not be able to have children. And, and her and her husband desperately wanted a child. So we just kind of started talking about her past and everything and we were gonna pray together. Towards the end of a conversation, we were kind of winding down and she goes, gosh, it's just so funny. My husband and I swore we'd never have children. But now that we want them, we can't have them. And I said, whoa, wait, what did you, what did you say? She goes, oh, we just swore we'd never have children. When they got married, they made an agreement. They swore that they would never have children. So again, the enemy is like, oh, absolutely, I will come into agreement with that and make sure your body shuts down so you can never have children. And so we went on an exploratory journey about her past and we did deliverance, we did inner healing. She renounced that inner vow. She took communion with her husband and she began to pray to break that curse over her body and break the curse of that inner vow. And this may be TMI for some of you gentlemen in here today, but she sent us a text a few weeks later and she was like, you're never gonna believe it. I started my period. We're like, yes! Inner vows are powerful. Oh. Another one, I'm just gonna throw myself under the bus. I, this was about a year and a half ago, I 
uh, John would tell me, he's like, babe, I don't understand. We go out and you're like happy and you're laughing. And then he goes, it was just so weird. Like the second you walk in our house, you kind of turn into a different person. Because you get grumpy and you get frustrated really easy. Just like you're, you're it's, it's literally something in our house. And, and, and so I actually brought that because I actually recognized what he was saying. I was like, oh yeah, I do feel a little grumpy when I come home, but I love my house. It's so weird. And so I, I said, Holy Spirit, like show me, like why, why is that? And I'm just walking around my kitchen table, just seeking the Lord going, why am I grumpy? I don't want to be grumpy in my house. Like, why am I mean to my husband? Like what's, what's happening? And, um, and so, and so I, the Holy Spirit I got like this vision of when I was little. And like I said, there was five of us. My mom had five children in eight years. The first four children were all one year apart and then my sister was a few years later. And my mom didn't work, she only, well she worked in the home, like running the home. And she would run herself ragged. She was a little bit OCD, so she like cleaned everything. And so she was just tired all the time. Um, And so I would kind of watch the frazzled state of my mom trying to keep the house up and the kids and the food and the clothes and the laundry and everything like that. And I would always feel bad for my mom. And then I, I had this vision of seeing my mom busy and stressed in the house. And then I just saw my dad sitting on the couch. And I saw myself as a little girl say, men are so lazy. Because at, at that age, I didn't realize, I didn't put it together that my mom worked in the home so my dad could work outside the home. And he would sometimes work 12 to 15 hour days in the early days to try to provide for all the five kids. And so, but I didn't understand all the dynamic. All I saw as a little kid was my mom working so hard and stressed and my dad sitting on the couch. And I said in my heart that all men are lazy. And so God brought me to that moment and I'm like, God, what is this? And so what I realized is when I get irritated in my house is, here's the thing, John is an incredible, the truth is, John is an incredibly hands-on, helpful husband. I've never had to do all the dinner and dishes by myself. I've never had to do the bedtime routine by myself. He is hands-on completely, that's the truth. But no matter how much John did, he could never do enough because I believed that all men are lazy. So he could never do enough for me to make me happy. He could never help enough to make me believe otherwise because that was a belief system that I had had in my heart since I was seven years old. And so all I did, I just circled my kitchen table and I just broke the vow that all men are lazy. They are absolutely, like, no, they are a blessing. My husband is amazing. And I broke the power. And then I didn't tell John I did it because I was kind of embarrassed. And then three weeks later, he goes, babe, you've been so nice to me for three weeks. And I was like, and I go, oh, I have to tell you, like, I thought you were lazy, even though you do everything. (laughs) I know, so bad. Cheers. So, so that's what I'm saying, like these inner vows are so powerful. So one of you said, I'll nevers, they'll always. Like, what do you believe about women? What do you believe about men? What do you believe about your finances? What do you believe about your health? What do you believe? Because that will literally dictate how you live your life. And I understand this is not an entire list of all the access points, all the gateway points that the enemy can access our life. And I'll just stress one more thing really quickly. Um, there are actual curses that can allow the enemy access to our life. Curses are spiritual forces, forces that are empowered by evil spirits. And I know, again, not warm and fuzzy, right? So 
These things are brought on by occult activity, by witchcraft, Freemasons, um, and idolatry. And the amazing thing about this is in Exodus 21 through five, you can read it later, that curses can actually operate in our lives through family lines to third and fourth generations. They can be passed down. So here's the thing. Children aren't held responsible for the sins of their fathers and their mothers and their grandparents, but the, the curses can pass down to the children. They can inherit propensities to bondages, to addictions, and to troubles because of the demonic oppression. I had never actually really understood this or, or um, really dealt with it when I was ministering to someone in deliverance until last Freedom Sunday. And, and I just kind of started learning about the generational curses. So here's the thing. You could have done nothing and you are living with demonic oppression in your life because of something your grandparents did and it passed down through the line. Because here's the thing, curses need to be canceled and cut off in Jesus' name. They don't just stop operating. You have to actually cancel the curse and the authority and the power that we have in Jesus Christ. And so we were doing a deliverance. Um, it was after the 12 o'clock service. I had preached three services and we started ministering this young woman and a man's voice came out of her. And so we realized we needed to take her and spend a little more time with her. This wasn't gonna happen on the altar. And so we got back um, into uh, a private room where we could, you know, just cover her a little bit um, and not expose her to everybody. And then, I, to be honest, it was like two and a half hours and I was so tired. I was like, I, I, I have authority and I do not understand, like, who do you need to forgive? Because a lot of times, like, for, unforgiveness, like, unforgiveness can keep you in bondage. Because if you won't forgive somebody, you're, you're saying, then I choose to be bound. Like, forgiveness is huge. So if there's someone, if you want to be free, you need to forgive anyone in your life that you were holding unforgiveness towards. But anyway, she's like, no, I've forgiven everyone. And then what I realized, I was actually encountering, because, and, and I don't necessarily recommend this. I'd never done it before, because, but I was so tired. I'd ministered for like 12 hours, and I just wanted to go home. So I just said like, how'd you get in there? And I just started talking to the demon. Again, I don't know if that's a good idea or not. I said, how did you get in there? And he said, I've always been with her in a man's voice. I'm like, okay, I just learned about generational curses, always been with her, that means it was passed down, it didn't enter when she was five, it was passed down, okay, I'm dealing with generational curse, which is a cult activity, and like my, you know, my training brain is kicking in, I'm like, okay. And then uh, I, you know, I said, well then how did, how did you get access to her? And then the male voice names a female name. And, and I'm like, okay. And so then we realized this was passed down. So then obviously we came against generational curses and we canceled the things and we broke them off. And then she, you know, when you're, you know, she was in a moment where she didn't really understand because the demons were actually talking. And I said, so we, she kind of came to and we said, hey, who is this person and who is this person? She's like, oh, why? And I go, well, you, you said their names. And she goes, oh, I didn't even realize I said their names. I said, who are they? She goes, that's my dad and my great grandma and grandpa. And I was like, okay. And so she actually went home and learned that her great grandparents were in the Freemasons. So here's this, this poor thing where then she kind of was telling us all the things she has struggled with her entire life. How ugly is the devil? This innocent, beautiful young woman mother in our church, a leader in our church. She had no idea 
that she had a generational curse that was operating in her family line for her whole life. And so the beautiful thing about that and the, and the amazing thing about that is even though she's in her 30s, we could break that curse. And it literally was, she was completely set free, so full of peace. It's like, she goes, I feel like I'm floating. Like I, I've never felt so light in my entire life. So we need to know what we're dealing with. And that's why I'm laboring on all these things. Cause I want you to know, cause the moment you know you have a revelation, this, this isn't how it's supposed to be. I'm not supposed to be in fear. I'm not supposed to be anxiety. I'm not supposed to have worry. I'm not supposed to have infirmity. You're gonna be awoken to the fact that there was a God here that can set you free. One last thing I'll teach on before we start winding down. And I really wanna hit on this because I wanna talk about the difference between sickness and a spirit of infirmity. In Luke 13, 10 through 13, it says, Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity. 18 years she, would bent, she was bent over and in could no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called to her and said, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. So in this passage of scripture, this woman didn't have a disease or an ailment that could be healed by doctors. She had a demonic spirit of infirmity that manifested in a physical ailment. That's why she tried to spend all of her money to get healed by doctors. She didn't recognize that it was actually a spirit. So is all sickness caused by demons? So based on scripture, when you read the gospels, Jesus commissions us to heal the sick and to cast out demons. So I believe it's two different experiences. So when Jesus ministered to people, some people he said, be healed. Other people, he loosed them from the spirit of infirmity. So this tells me that not all sickness is a spirit. And we need to be able to discern between the two. Is this a spirit of infirmity or is this sickness? But I do wanna say that while not all sickness is a spirit of infirmity or demonic, that no sickness comes from God. No sickness comes from God. The Bible says that only good and perfect gifts come from above. God cannot give you something He does not have. Jesus was God's will and action in the earth. And he went about healing all who were oppressed by the devil and healing all who were sick. So Jesus is God's will and action in the earth. That is God's will for healing and for wholeness. So I wanna just explain quickly who deliverance is for. Who is deliverance for? Well, quite honestly, we can assert our authority and our power over any demon and any human. However, in Matthew 15, 26, the Bible refers to deliverance from evil spirits, the children's bread, meaning children of God, sons and daughters of God, believers, people who have repented. Again, we can do deliverance and assert our authority over demons and people who are unsaved and unbelievers. However, I don't necessarily recommend it because the Bible says that when the demons are cast out, if that person doesn't get their life right with God and get filled up with the Word of God and get filled up with the Holy Spirit, the demons will come back seven times worse, the Bible says. 
So I do believe deliverance is not for everybody because not everybody is ready and we don't want to make anyone worse off. So deliverance is for someone who is ready to surrender their life to Jesus. Deliverance is for people who are ready to turn away from the things that got them into bondage in the first place, to not go right back to the access points, to not go right back to the gateways, to right back to the open doors. Deliverance is for people who are willing to get set free and then be filled up with the Word of God. Deliverance is for people who are ready to resist the devil so he will flee. And deliverance is for people who are desiring to live an obedient life to Christ. But I wanna make it so hard that no one wants to get deliverance, okay? So I just wanna say this. Deliverance isn't for the perfect, okay? So when you fall and when you fail, and I say when you fail because you will, it's, it's important to come back to God quickly and to not make, you know, continue an ongoing sin. So yes, get set free. And then when you fall, just come back to Jesus quickly. Don't leave an open doorway. Close off those doorways and repent. And then when you are wounded, someone hurts you, be quick to forgive. You don't want tormenting spirits. So, so you have to be ready to do these things. Because I believe it is really time for a lot of us to stop circling the same mountain. Like enough is enough. Man, I, I was sick and tired of writing the same things down on my shredder cards and my vision cards year after year. Like, come on, what is holding us back from getting that freedom, getting that breakthrough, going northward, getting on with things? So in a moment, we're gonna take our authority over all the power of the enemy. And we're gonna have an encounter with God. And he's gonna set people free here tonight. But before I do that, I just wanna make sure if there is anyone in here that needs to receive Jesus, needs forgiveness, that we take care of that first. So if everyone could just uh, bow their heads and close their eyes really quickly. So if you're in here and you realize, man, I need to get the first thing right. I need Jesus, I need, I need salvation, I need to be forgiven. I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. If you're in here, that's the first step. That is why you are here tonight. So while no one else is looking around, if that is you, can you just slip your hand up nice and high and I'm gonna pray over you. If you need salvation, yes, I see your hands are on the aisle in the back and all the way in the back and then off to the side in the back over here. Yes, I see your hands, three hands, four hands, yes. In the hat, I see your hands on the second row there. Who else? Is there anyone else I'm waiting on? Let's look, get your life right with God. Yes, ma'am, I see your hand in the sweater. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And once I've seen your hand, you can put it down. I've seen you in the green in the hat. Yes. Anyone else? All right, what we're gonna do, we're actually gonna pray a prayer together. So we had, I think, about five people that lifted their hand. Let's just give them a shout. So amazing. And those watching on live stream. So we're gonna pray, everyone's gonna pray together this simple prayer and you are, you are saved, you are sealed, and you are forgiven. So just repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to save me, to forgive me. I receive forgiveness. Today I declare that I'm a child of God, that you are my Father. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.